0: Hello everyone and welcome to the Happy Soul podcast. My name is Melissa and I am Sammy and we are your hosts. This is a podcast about life. Inspirational stories about facing life's challenges, rising through the obstacles to find happiness, success, abundance and love. So grab yourself your favorite warm drink, get comfortable and prepare to be inspired. Welcome everybody to the Happy Soul podcast today. uh, We have Shauna with us. So today we're interviewing Shauna, Sammy and I together. Shauna has a harrowing story of childbirth and grief and we're just she reached out to us to share her story and we're really grateful and we're really excited to just dive right into this conversation. So Shauna why don't you start us off with a little intro of who you are. You're a mom, you have kids, right?
1: Yes so I have two kids. I have a four and a half year old or almost four and a half as she likes to say and an almost two year old. so just myself, my two little ones, and my husband. We do not have pets because we don't think we can keep anything else alive at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, so at the I'm just I'm a stay-at-home mom at the moment and hopefully we'll be starting back to work soon, which is just another huge chapter of my life as my little one starts school, which will be, I guess my oldest one, she is, but which will be. Yeah, a whole new thing. So there's a lot of transition happening right now. My little guy just transitioned to daycare, uh, so that's they're my whole world right now. That's what I do every day. So yeah,
0: I love it. Okay, so why don't you take us back to your first pregnancy and and start there? Does that sound like a good place to start?
1: Absolutely. I was thinking um, prior to our conversation about well, where's the beginning? <laughs> Right. Um, Everyone who knows me in my personal life will know like my beginning. I mean, I could go back to like I was five years old, but um, I think that's actually a really great place to start because the two topics that I wanted to talk about is like mothering through grief, of course. And um, that's very much linked to the pregnancy and birth of my daughter. So Basically found out that I was pregnant um, with my daughter, my first, and it was really exciting. The reason we decided to try and get pregnant at that specific time was, so I had had a previous um, miscarriage that from for my I felt it was very traumatic and it lasted quite a long time. And um, I wasn't sure after that if I wanted to try again. And my husband always did, but he was, he's phenomenal and was in no way pressuring me. But what was also going on at that time is my mom had been diagnosed with colon cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, So that was confirmed uh, while I was on my honeymoon. It was confirmed that she had colon cancer. So when I say it's difficult to talk about either story separately, it's because they're just so intrinsically linked. Mm -hmm. So... We kind of decided, and I said, I I don't know. I I don't know if I want to do it. I feel like the miscarriage sort of killed that little piece of desire that I had. However, my mom has been given, you know, five years is a, was a good estimate at the time, like maybe, why wait? Because she wants grandkids. She when I was still when my husband was just still my boyfriend, she was like, just have kids, just just have kids, you don't have to get married, just have kids. So I thought, not that I, you know, I'm gonna have a child for somebody else. But it was like, I don't know anybody that regrets having kids. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is a, a really good opportunity. And we'll, you know, have baby and give her something to live for and everything will be wonderful and work out. So I did get pregnant and it was extremely fortunate because it was not a struggle for us. Everything was wonderful and my mom was excited and we told her immediately and my husband was adamant that we can't announce, you know, the old Facebook announcement. Mm. we can't announce until we hit that 13 week mark. Well, I just due to kind of the medical system shortage. I didn't have my dating ultrasound until I was 13 weeks pregnant. So I had this wonderful, my first ultrasound picture was this wonderful picture with like, that's a baby. Like, that's not just some blob, like that's a baby. And it was so beautiful. So we, my coworker helped me make this beautiful announcement on a map and with our passports because my husband's from Slovakia and we met in England and it was just wonderful. And we announced and it was great. And, you know, all the messages and then the next day um, my midwife called and <laughs> I'll never forget because she said well she left me a voicemail and said if you're if you're feeling stressed out about my message just give me a call back otherwise I'll see you at your next appointment well I mean <laughs> that's all she said that's what she said so she left it uh, there's something the radiologist has noticed give me a call back Ugh. so if I wanted to hold on to that info for like the next two three weeks or I could call her back. So obviously, I called her immediately. <laughs> right. um, and she said the radiologist had found something called an emphyseal. And I'm like, okay. And she said, well, I'll spell that for you. And she spelled it out. And I wrote it down. And she said, now, I'll just tell you that I've only dealt with it once before. And the baby died. That's what she said. <laughs> so... I was already, unbeknownst to me, because I use denial as a coping mechanism. So, unbeknownst to me, I was already dealing with grief. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So then, plus the uncertainty of, I don't even know if I really like want to do this because I'm so scared of the miscarriage. And then she says this, and uh, I say, "I'm at work," so start sobbing. My colleague, who is now a very, very dear friend of mine, came and sat with me, and. It's kind of a blur for the next while. So did she explain to you what inphaliceel was? So she did. The problem is with inphaalel, so what the sort of the easiest way to explain is some of your internal organs are on the outside of your body. So around 12 weeks gestation, um, the internal organs go into the umbilical cord around 12 weeks they go back into the body and it closes. In most cases, with emphalocele, it doesn't close. They still don't know why. It's a lightning strike. Uh, I I don't know what the most recent statistics are in terms of how often it happens, but it's incredibly rare. Uh, It's so rare, there are no emphalocele experts currently um, in the medical field. So there are surgeons and doctors who have dealt with it, but nobody's dealt with it enough to call themselves an expert. So she said to me, don't Google, because it's really, really scary. I was <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, don't so <laughs> I, I will. Yeah, great. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um. So she said, you'll be referred to, so I'm immediately, of course, pulled off midwife service and referred to high-risk doctor, <laughs> and so she said, you'll be referred to a geneticist, you'll get a call, you're going to get a social worker because they have to like, it's so many appointments, you need a social worker to help you navigate. And it was like, here's all this horrendous info. And like, hey, have a great weekend. because It was a Friday. Mm. And she had like her first words out of her mouth were and the baby died. Right. And so like, I called my mom, I, I stayed at work and I cried for a while. And then I called my mom and told her all this and my mom was this phenomenally positive person which is wonderful in a lot of situations but sometimes I need to be in my anger and worry and grief and that was something that she had a hard time with and clearly had her own stuff going on at the same time so she was very much just don't worry. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be amazing. Like just blah, blah. They don't know what they're talking about. And I felt at the very alone because I didn't, I have a person that was like, this is so scary. Mm -hmm. So I don't remember the exact timeline of events. I do remember that I eventually called my friend Chantal, um, and was explaining to her and she really validated like this is terrifying and this sucks. And just having that really helped. I, of course, instantly start Googling um, and it's it's horrific. I, I'm, I'm not going to speak specifically about the statistics because they don't really matter much in the end. And the statistics that I read, keep in mind, this is about five years ago, were not great. However, we defied all odds in every possible way. So I don't want people, if they're hearing this and they've just maybe come across a fallacy or they're dealing with that, to hear those statistics and think this is it. I certainly did. I certainly thought that it was done. Um, We were referred to a geneticist. The reason being, there's still so much unknown of how this happened. So my husband and i had to get blood work they did a, a ton of stuff um there was just there was just tests there was just so many tests right after we announced the pregnancy it became infallible all the time 24/7 um so much so that my midwife and the genetic counselor suggested that i take a leave of absence from work which i was like yeah because i like can't even imagine like working so we meet with a genetic counselor first and she's giving little glimmer information that gives us slight glimmers of hope Um, and I'm feeling like maybe it's not completely horrendous and the geneticist comes in and says I'm sorry you're going through this this is a horrible outcome either way what to which I instantly start Like uncontrollably crying, which again is because of the grief. My mom's not there. Had my mom been physically capable, she would have been there. Um, I'm grown woman would bring my mommy everywhere. (laughs) Like, so she's not there. Um, so my husband and I are, you know, we just get this news, and he's still at work. Like, he has to go back to work. And even that day, we leave that appointment where they've just basically said. It's horrendous. Here's a picture of a fetus with a fallacy It like just was like from start to finish, like the most horrible defeatist negative experience. And this is our first pregnancy that I like, ah, we have so much anger looking back at that. My husband goes back, he goes to work from the appointment. I ended up going back to work because my like very good friend works there. And I went back and said, I didn't know where to go. So I came here and I I sat at work Um, at different points, obviously filled my mom in. I have um, an amazing friend whose daughter had a herniated navel that um, I held on to hope, not that I wish any child to ever have anything medically wrong with them, but I was thinking I can deal with a herniated navel. And especially since I have another mom friend who has dealt with this, maybe that's what it is. Maybe they just don't know. So no point really going into all the details of all the tests and all the everything we so I had to have an amnio and, and I had ended up in the course of my pregnancy having 15 ultrasounds, Whoa. including an MRI and, or not including an MRI and an amnio. So we were as sure as we could be that she would at least be born. Um, we were there's a lot of other really incredibly tough conversations that had to happen, which again, I didn't realize at the time, became harder because I didn't talk them over with my mom as much as I would have. Was that because your mom was ill at the time? Like because she was so Yeah. Sad. She she was going through um her chemo treatments were causing her have ulcers on her tongue. So even just talking sometimes was incredibly difficult for her. She had wonderful days where she was very much like physically capable and and all of that, but she had a lot of appointments and she lived an hour and a half away from me. So um she couldn't just come down.
0: Yeah.
1: I was told don't go out of town because the experts are in my city, the experts, the the NICU team, my my pediatric surgeon, that sort of thing. So what was wonderful is um, I have a very dear friend who lives in St. Albert, Alberta, who I did want to go and see. My mom was in full support of that. And unbeknownst to me, had spoke with my friend and they arranged cost of ticket and all of these things. So I did get permission to fly down there, which turns out was one of the best things I could do because I got away from the negative stuff. And it wasn't until I went on that trip that I even really acknowledged my pregnancy. I can't even remember how pregnant I was, but I was showing I had the round belly and I did not have any maternity clothes because I didn't buy them because we we didn't know if she would be born so my friend had said like we're going shopping like here I'm buying you onesies here's all this maternity clothes of mine that like try it on if you like it keep it and just had like that kind of experience of pregnant with your first baby right Mm -hmm. which was wonderful and of course told my mom all about it but again not really seeing her right I ended up getting incredibly sick while I'm staying there Um, and just not pregnancy related at all. I just got very sick, but what was wonderful is I was picked up at the airport by my stepdad. And then I went and stayed with my mom and my stepdad. So it was great because I did get to have that time with her and like, she's rubbing my belly and we Mm -hmm. got to do some of that, which all of that became secondary. And I didn't think about it at the time of what I was missing and, I was so consumed with my own pregnancy drama um, and fear that I didn't think about making those memories with my mom. Mm -hmm. So, and the reason I bring that up is just to sort of later touch on like the regret piece of that. So, basically, we go through Um, everything—the delivery experience. I mean, could could be an entire other episode, (laughs) but uh, it was horrendous. Can I ask you a question? I just want to go back to,
0: can you tell us in your pregnancy then, are they giving you advice during your pregnancy about the pregnancy, about what to do during your pregnancy, about like, were they advising you
1: about anything with your pregnancy? So trigger warning, in the beginning, it was, it was not pushed which is wonderful for my experience. That's not the case on my infelicile support group. A lot of people are very much pushed in the direction of termination. That's more specifically when you're looking at the States or other countries. So it was never, you should do this. That was never said to me. But what was said is there's, and I won't use the statistics, but a high chance that the baby could have any number of really difficult and painful other issues like chromosomal issues or other physical issues as a result of the encephalocele. So oftentimes, encephalocele goes hand in hand with developmental disabilities, physical disabilities, and some of which can be very painful even in utero for the baby. So there was no advisement of what you should do because they don't know what causes it. There's no cure. There's no anything. So it was like, I still had um, so I was able to meet with my midwives for support but they couldn't they couldn't like they were not my care providers right legally they cannot be my care providers so they were sort of talking to me about the pregnancy aspect but what happened is and is so rare everything was always about the phallocel anyway even if it was supposed to be like time for me to talk about my feelings or like what do I eat, what do I do, it was still just enfalacil. So, mm-hmm. what I should have been doing, and what my husband and I have said said afterwards, is our own sort of exploration. And of course, I had all the apps, and I, you know, oh, it's the size of a grapefruit, and you should eat this, and I did all that. I took my prenatal, but we were also only focused on enfalacil and my mom so the short answer is no <laughs> there was no advisement um there was many 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 conversations for the first well only couple weeks because we didn't even find out till I was 13 weeks so about should we continue with the pregnancy not because it could be born with um, a disability but because we were told there could be a disability that's causing it pain so that was what sort of sparked that conversation. So which then is crazy now seeing my beautiful, perfect four and a half year old and we'll be sitting on the couch in the same spots that we were sitting having this conversation of like, man, look what we let those doctors make us talk about, which, you know, it's like, so then you get a little more chocolate that day when we (laughs) remember those things. But it was, it just was all in fallacy all the time. My social worker through the hospital, which at the time, I absolutely adored her. She was enthusiastic, but also like emotional when I was emotional. She just, she felt everything. She was crazy and chaotic like me. She absolutely helped me. Looking back, she didn't really do any sort of social work stuff um, because I very clearly was displaying a lot of symptoms of like depression and Just extreme stress and all of those things that was ignored, as pregnant women often are anyway, even in the best scenarios, right? So I felt very unprepared to actually have a baby, a phallusial aside. (laughs) Mm -hmm. My mom, just her health as much as she tried. Um, While I was pregnant, she sent a letter. Because my mom is also very... (laughs) wasn't very matter of fact and very blunt and I adored that about her and also it was challenging and so she decided because she's a planner and her to-do list she went through the whole house and assigned all of her possessions to various people in her life so I got an email of like here's what I want to like give to everybody let me know your thoughts like if you want to change stuff blah 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 and so then she texted me later that evening after I got this letter, and she was like, I hope I didn't upset you. Mm-hmm. Like, a letter from my mom who's about to die about what possessions I want? Of course not. Like, why would that upset me? <gasps> like, crazy oh lady. <laughs> like, <laughs> there were so many of these little things that were happening. And so we get to the birth, and Overall, I mean, I, I guess technically it went fine. We like, I survived. My my daughter is fine. I, like I said, could do a whole other episode. I had no idea about my rights or how to advocate. My husband didn't know how to advocate. It was in no way resembled the birth experience that I wanted. There was the NICU team and residents and students and everybody wanted to peek at the infallible baby. And in midwives were not in charge. Um, it was an OB delivering the baby that I've never seen it. They, when we checked into the hospital, I said, when am I going to get induced? Because I was told it was going to happen like that night, um, because we needed the NICU team. I was being induced so that the NICU team and the pediatric surgeon would be on call. So I was induced early. Turns out for no reason because the pediatric surgeon that needed it to be scheduled then because she was going on holidays did not even come see the baby for two full weeks. Oh. Another pediatric surgeon, who I adore and I'm still very much um she is a part of our life, she did, she immediately came. But it wasn't her that pushed for the induction. So I was induced for no reason.
0: How far along were you when you were induced? Like what how many weeks?
1: 37 and 3. I didn't need to be induced. Um, It still brings up an incredible amount of anger when my husband and I talk about it. Uh, So to the point we try not to talk about it. So my mom was not there, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a four day affair. My, and it just didn't go well. It just didn't, it didn't happen. But I thought, well, hey, I'm gonna get an epidural. Like then I've been doing this for the whole day. I'm gonna get an epidural, I'm gonna sleep tonight and it's all good. The epidural worked on half my body, but then it still took another three days. So it just was a crappy birth experience and the infallocel and my mom wasn't there. So my mom is very much, she used to call herself mother's mother um, before the show came out. So because she would have been there, she would have been annoying everybody but also like buying coffee and donuts for everybody and like taking care of my husband and doing all those things. She couldn't be there. She at that point was in a wheelchair Um, walking was difficult for her. She just physically could not be there. And an hour and a half in the car would be extremely difficult for her. So as a result, she was nonstop texting <laughs> and she kept saying, why are they not doing a C-section? Why are they not doing a C-section? Cause it was taking so long. Well, with him Seal in a, most other countries, specifically the states, an appendiceal that um, a specifically one where your liver is involved, which my daughter it was her entire liver, entire liver and a little bit of bowel, were in the sac that sits on your stomach. So we're out of her body. If you're in another country, they push for C-section. There is no evidence, and no statistics, no data anywhere that suggests that C-section is safer for an emphalocele. In fact, if you look in the right places, there is far more evidence to suggest that it's more dangerous than not. The vagina, as we know, right, it's softer, it opens more, all of these things. So for the emphalocele specifically, as long as the emphalocele, which is essentially a ball um, that sits on the top of the stomach, Um, As long as it's smaller than the baby's shoulders, there's no greater risk. Um, So I did deliver vaginally, which I specifically want to say that if somebody's listening, because I don't want them feeling pressured into having to have a C-section. If you choose, fantastic. If you want to have a vaginal delivery and the doctors agree that it is safe, it can absolutely happen. I did it. And she's fine the danger with hemophylosia especially liver right is if the membrane ruptures then it's very much a life threatening situation
0: so membrane being the 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 sac that the um organs are inside of right correct okay yeah okay. so
1: it's like essentially like really see through really thin skin is kind of the way that i can like i could see literally like the bowel and the liver like through yeah, look really cool. And also like, blah, (laughs) like really (laughs) gross. Um, but another thing is they had told me all along that I would not get to hold her. So they would, she'd be delivered and she's gone with the NICU team. There's this special, I mean, you guys know, obviously like who I'm talking to, um, the little machine that they take the baby to and do all their stuff. So the plan all along was my husband would immediately go with the baby because I didn't want her alone, and I would just do whatever I am doing. Well, even right up until when I was pushing, they were saying, I can't hold her. But I, she comes out, I can feel the shoulders come out, and they put her on my stomach, on my pelvis. With I had no idea. I didn't know what was happening. So the, the resident who it turns out, like the not main doctor, literally goes like and like essentially drops her on like my hip and my like the bottom left uh, beside my belly button and I scoop my arm under her in a really quick motion because of course she's covered in what is it larynx what is that that the gunk all the stuff (laughs) (laughs) yeah and so she starts to slide and I grab her and I'm like oh my god hi baby and then she's gone whoa Yeah, so like in one sense, so grateful that I had that time, that like two second. But I wasn't prepared for it. She wasn't Mm. on my chest. She didn't see me. She uh, bungle from start to finish. Um, My husband goes with the baby, and I'm, you know, all the other things are happening, and there's hemorrhaging, and there's whatever. But the midwife gets to take over and is like dealing with me. And that's wonderful. Um, and I say to my, my wife at one point, because I'm I'm a touch dramatic, if anybody knows me in my real life. And I say, I could literally be bleeding out, my husband wouldn't know. And she's like, "It's okay. I'll go find him. I'll go find him. And he runs back in and says, she's breathing. And he runs back because we were told her lungs might not be developed. Because when organs are moved, Right. So like her liver's out. So the heart was a little lower than it needed to be, but it was on the correct side, which is also rare with emphalosyl. Typically things get moved very dramatically Um, and the lungs aren't given a chance to develop the way they're supposed to. All of these things could happen, but she was breathing room air and she actually always she she did not have to be intubated for Mm -hmm. oxygen like everything that could have gone wrong didn't like mm-hmm. in no way were we expecting the amazing outcome that we had and in no way were we ever given the hope that this is how it would go so nicu does its thing and they put her in a little plastic bag um to cover the amphallosial like right up to her little armpits to keep it moist and so they do all the stuff they have to do long process um the surgeon who is now we adore her Goes to see her right away. Um, It was a four-day process for me, so I'm very much depleted by the end of it, and all of the emotions and all of those things that are happening. And they, I did get to see her. They took me to the NICU in a wheelchair, and I could see, but I was so nauseous and sick, and I was like, "Yeah, like I see her, okay." I went back to the room. Mm -hmm. They tried to discharge me the next day, like the next morning, to which I postpartum, right, dying mom, baby NICU, like you can imagine, mm-hmm. we called the midwife, hysterical, and she's like, no, like, you are not leaving, I am not discharging you, they cannot, like, you're in my care, so I was very, very fortunate, because I got to stay for two nights, she was born at eight o'clock at night, by the way, so the next morning, they were trying to get rid of me, Ugh. so it was great, because I got to stay close to her, but anyway, I won't go I've gone into quite a lot of detail about it, but um, my mom was supposed to come one of the days while she was in NICU. So she was only in the NICU for 21 days. Only? No, No, she wasn't in for 21 days. She was in for 17 days. We were also told to expect a four to six month minimum NICU stay because they don't know there, there's so much unknown. Nobody knows anything until the baby comes out because mm-hmm. it can all change in a second. And there's only so much testing they can do. We were also told she wouldn't come home until surgery was done. Meaning her liver would be put back in and her abs would be sewn up. Well, she came home with her like interns on her out. <laughs> and so the surgeon and then NICU nurses taught us how to wrap her, how to take care of her at the time, open wound all of that. My mom still at this point has not seen her. She couldn't come down. She just was getting progressively worse. Uh, Finally, we kept asking the pediatric surgeon, can she, they said, don't put her in the car seat, like, unless you absolutely have to. So I was still doing weekly appointments. Like you can come to the appointment and you go home, like do not put her in the car seat because if you think like the newborn, so where her belly button would be is her liver and her bowel. And so the clip sat sat right on that. So most terrifying ride home, but we used a normal car seat, which again is very rare. A lot of times people are pushed into paying for a Jefferson car seat. It's needed in a lot of situations. It's not always needed in seal, but specifically in the States, it's pushed that you have to have this Jefferson car seat. We didn't. And I understand that our situation is not everybody, But we did not need to pay for a Jefferson car seat. She came home in a Walmart (laughs) bucket seat, car seat, Mm -hmm. extremely slowly. And we put a lot of gauze over top and all of that. But it was scary. It was scary every time she had to be put in the car seat. And my husband, our situation was such that he had to go back to work right away. So it was me going to appointments. So the wonderful thing that came out of that is I got like, Damn good at going out with a newborn, and I had like the best like bag ever, and had all of the stuff. Like I was so good at it, and then COVID hit and wiped that all out. But before that, I was so good at it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I had like a lot of moms I know ride in the back seat with their baby mm-hmm. forever, right? Well, I like I never did because I was driving her everywhere. So that was also great because as much as I was nervous, I got over that real quick, right? My mom ended up one day calling to say, so I have been given, I I don't remember what she said at the time. I know when she told me, Amelia had not been born yet when she said I have three months. Um, Doctors have given me three months and Amelia hadn't been born. And I remember saying to her, and you'll have to excuse me, like there'll be different periods of like emotions. But I remember saying to her, are you done? Like, are you tired? And she said, "Done? Like, I want to die." And I said, "Yeah. Like, are you are you done fighting?" And she said, she said "Fuck no." <laughs> <And> she's <laughs> like, and she's like, "I want to see my grandbaby." Oh, like, okay. And so she's like, "I will hold that grandbaby." And so, um she kept trying to come down. It just was not working. She couldn't do it. She could not get down to see us. And I finally, my husband actually is the one who said like, like F this, like we are taking her to see your mom. I'm like, Oh my God. Like uh, we shouldn't, I don't know. And like, so at the time she was four weeks old. So he's like, we're doing it. Like your mom has to see you. She, she's not going to last like, Okay. So I texted my mom and I said, so we had to talk with Amelia and she said she really wants to meet her granny and gramps. So how about a visit? And mom was like, Oh my God. yes!" (laughs) So uh, we went down there longest trip ever. Um, because of her emphalocele, she had to be really tightly bound around her waist. Um, because if the liver is not restricted, it will continue to grow. And then you can't, yeah, it's the only organ, I believe organ, I might be wrong, but one of or the only organ that will continue to expand if not constricted whoa and if that happens like how are you gonna get back in
0: yeah <laughs> so
1: yeah. as a result of that um her she would eat the tiniest little bits of food <laughs> and I always ate all the time and I'm certainly not like I know I've heard your stories. like I don't think we were feeding her that much but she it it was a lot like um, so we would, it's an hour and a half drive. We had to stop halfway down um, to feed her. Plus I'm postpartum, still stitches, prolapse, which I was unaware of that mm-hmm. I had prolapse, which was a result of like just immediately up, right? Non-stop up, back and forth, NICU every day. Mm-hmm. But anyway, all of this and, but we made it down. And when I saw, I had not seen my mom keep in mind for months. And so we came in and mom was just on her way to the bathroom and my stepdad was helping her who is a phenomenal angel of a human being because he single handedly took care of my mom. So I just want to say that um he was helping her walk to the bathroom so when you walk in we have the bucket seat like have amelia she's at the top of the stairs and she's walking by and she says i'm not looking i'm not looking i want to wait to see my baby as she's walking to the bathroom and my husband and i just look at each other like what the f-? like she was a skeleton like she like this is where denial as a coping mechanism is extremely harmful because it worked it got me through what I needed to do to be pregnant and deal with this like terrifying medical issue. But then I was just shocked. Like you would think that I just found out that she's dying because in my mind, she was the four foot, nothing formidable woman who she always had been and she wasn't. (laughs) She could still set up. Thank God. So she was sitting on the couch. Um sorry. No. Um take your time. She got to hold her. Um she got to give her a bottle, which is amazing. And I have a picture of me hugging her and I have my head on my mom's shoulder and the three of us together, which is like phenomenal. And still I will say at that time still didn't let myself believe she was going to die. And the reality is she was dead three weeks later. Oh, So that was a Friday because my husband was still working and he had a terrible boss at the time with zero compassion. And so he would take a Friday off and we would go down. And you, like, I was so scared to be anywhere without a medical professional or without my husband, because it took two people to change her bandage. Mm -hmm. If her infalliceal ruptured, she could die. so I've had somebody say well why didn't you just go by yourself it literally was not an option in my head Mm -hmm. um, to go anywhere by myself I was a brand new mom like keep in mind I had literally never had a baby before Um, I didn't know what the f I was doing I was breastfeeding and bottle feeding and her infallible care took two people to change like it it wasn't a like it just never occurred to me to go by myself and I didn't go without her because I was breastfeeding because he needed two people to change the bandage like so we said like we'll come down next Friday like we're I don't care like we are coming and we went down the next Friday and shocking she was now in a hospital bed in the living room which they didn't tell us and my mom said, well, I didn't want you to worry. I'm like, wow, like, it's just like happening so quick. And I have a picture though. She still, she, she couldn't get up, but she got to hold Amelia. She gave her a bottle. She was showing me that if you rub her soft spot, she stops crying. So she was like teaching me that. And she ate a couple bites of pizza. My mom would always order pizza when we visited. And so my stepdad got pizza and she hadn't been eating or drinking. Um, but she had a couple bites of pizza and I got her water and she was like, oh, you know, like that tastes so good. Like I'm really, I'm really loving that I did that. And I've since found paperwork that is from that time period, from that week or the week before, where she was still working with a hospice nurse to get to get better. Her goal was to get strong enough to play with her grandbaby. Like that's like that's how hard she was fighting for life like so I had said to my husband my mom was very much my husband's mom as well like very very close and I said like you need to say to her what you want to say because if any of this has taught me anything it's you tell people what you want to say when you want to say it and so I was there and he did And he took the opportunity and he said, and that's his story to tell, but there was, he was very emotional. And he told my mom and she was coherent and she, you know, was able to then say to him like, and you're my son and I love you and all of that, which is wonderful. The rest of that trip, I remember not even, this is the problem is if you think of any, I know both of you guys had such really difficult postpartum periods as well, but even if you don't have a difficult period, difficult other things going on, postpartum is so hard and so foggy in your brain that there's so much I don't remember. And going that second to last time, I we were driving, we were almost on their street, and I was angry at her. I was so mad. Amelia was screaming because she needed to be fed, but it was like, let's just get there. And I was, I I was so sore. My stitches were just, everything went wrong that could go wrong. I was still bleeding. Um, My prolapse was incredibly painful. And I remember specifically saying to my husband, nobody else is having to fucking drive with a newborn and do this bullshit. Because I was so mad that she couldn't just come to me. Um, And I had to go there. And I wasn't, Obviously, mad my emotion. I was terrified and I was sad, but it was coming out as anger. And then we walk in, and she's in a hospital bed, and like it's horrible. So Amelia, she couldn't breathe. She had a little cold or something. I don't even remember. And my husband said we need to like flush out her nose. And so we had like a tiny little syringe of saline that we had been given, and he like cleaned her nose. Well, she screamed to high heaven. Right, as this is happening. She's a newborn. So I'm holding her and I'm like postpartum, I'm crying and she's crying and I'm sitting beside my mom who, right, is literally dying, but I can't say that at the time and she can't get out of bed to help me, but I'm sitting beside her and she puts her hand on my knee and she said like, you're a good mom and you can do this. And I said, I cannot do it without you. And she said, yes, you can because you're a strong woman. And I said, okay, I don't want to. I don't want to do this without you. And all she could do was just pat my knee, right? Like, she's a mom. She Now I know. Like, she's a mom. Like, she's feeling all the same shit, right? Like, so we go home because we have to. And why don't we stay over? I don't know. I don't know why we didn't stay over. I think because... There was so much medical, we had a a nurse come every week and they had a medical truck drop off supplies. There was so much stuff. It, again, it didn't occur to us to, to stay over. And also I mentioned before, I was unprepared for having a baby because we just kept thinking, just get home from the NICU, just get home from the NICU and things will be easier. Mm -hmm. And then you get home from the NICU and you now have a newborn baby, And it is so much fucking harder than having a baby who's in NICU. Not that that's not hard. Trust me, I know. But it's now 24-7. I wasn't allowed to be at the NICU 24-7. I couldn't sleep there. I was so mad at Amelia, which tons of therapy has told me because I associate her with my mom's death and from keeping me from my mom because I couldn't go more often. So all of that is happening. So I call my brother after that trip and I say, like, look, like, you need to come down. and. His story is his story to tell. But anyway, he said, like, we're going to go next weekend. I was like, okay, we're going next weekend as well. As we're driving down that following Friday, he texts me and says, where are you? And said, like, we're coming. Like, we're on our way. Like, you're the one who lives far away. Like, who are you to be texting me saying, where are you? Like, relax, right? I did notice the text messages from my mom were not my mom. Like, it was my stepdad. I assume helping her and like, she would say what to say and he would respond. Um, But it was never said that mom kind of wasn't the one texting. We get there and my brother and his wife are there and we go in and like, she's all but dead. She, I thought she was a skeleton before she was like legit skin and bones. Her muscles were relaxed on her face. She could no longer hold her mouth shut her eyes were half closed. She did not look like my mom. And I walked in and I like, which is why my brother was texting of like, get here now is what he meant. Like you have minutes. Turns out we had a couple hours. I don't know what time we got there. But again, we had to stop halfway to feed Amelia. And so we then just, we spent the day just taking turns holding her hands. I remember specifically, this is how much I didn't know about having a baby. And I didn't have a mom who could tell me. And yes, I have friends that have kids, but they have lives and kids and work and all those things. And and you don't know what you don't know. And I didn't know that when you breastfeed on one breast, the other one leaks. And I constantly was breastfeeding, thinking Like, she was peeing herself every time I was breastfeeding. Literally, I didn't know. And I was sitting beside my sister-in-law breastfeeding, and she was soaked. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, she's always, like, wetting through her diaper when I'm breastfeeding. And my sister-in-law says, well, like, do you, like, do you have a pad or any, like, are your other breast leaks? Like, what? Like... So many little things that, like, I just, there was so much focus was always on infallible or on mom that it wasn't just sitting around talking about having a baby. So these little things, and so this is happening in the room where my mom is laying, and we would just take turns holding her hand, and at different times, my brother and I would be holding her hand, and she would like, her breath would stop, and we'd look at each other like, okay, this is it, and then she'd breathe again. We're like, oh my god, like unless you've been in that situation you don't understand that there's a certain amount of i just want it to be done like i i just i just want this to be done so i can try and l- deal because mm-hmm. right now the waiting and it's literally imminent <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: i just need it to be done
0: it's excruciating yeah
1: absolutely like mm-hmm. And mom didn't want to be, she always said, I will not be a burden to you guys. You put me in a home the second I need tons of care, all this. And so my brother kept saying, she didn't want this. She didn't want this. I'm like, "Hey, okay, just like, shh, like I, at one point laid on the bed. I didn't lay on the bed. I wish I had gotten in bed with her. I did not. Um, I leaned my upper body on the bed and she couldn't talk. But she, I felt, was looking at me, and I said something to the effect of, I know you want to tell me a lot of things, and I know you want to tell me that I'll be okay, and I will, and I love you, and thank you, and I know you're going to be watching me, and I know you're going to watch Amelia, and I tried to say all of the things still didn't say enough because I wasn't enough of a mom at that point to know the sacrifice that her whole life that I just literally did not appreciate yet of everything she had done so I couldn't even say all the stuff i texted my colleague turned like best friend and i who also became very close with my mom because my mom adopts people um especially my people she immediately adopts them And I texted my friend and I said, like, mom, is she's got a couple hours. So if you want to say something, like, now's the time. So she sent a text back, a very beautiful long text, and I read it to my mom. And my mom was obsessed with West Wing, Aaron Sorkin's West Wing, the show. And I said, I will watch West Wing all the time, and I'll think of you, and Amelia will watch West Wing, and I'm going to think about the memories, and I'm going to think about all the good things, and grief will not overcome, like, will not take over and uh blurs I don't know blurs happened and my stepdad said like you guys need to sleep over like no he he would never say it like that he something to the effect of do you want to sleep over I will pay for a hotel and like well we don't have any of her stuff like we didn't bring her medic she needed special medicated cream she like we don't have it and she has to have her bandage changed she can't not have it And it was a blister um, blizzard out. And my husband said, if you want to stay, I will drive back and get the stuff and come back. And I said, like, you shouldn't drive. I'll do it. I'll go. I'll be back. Don't worry. I'm going. And he drove and should not have been driving. It was a blizzard. And he drove an hour and a half back, got the stuff and an hour and a half back. And then basically took over Amelia because I just was really incapable um I tried to go back to the hotel to sleep for a little bit then my husband had stayed to try to sleep in the spare room with Amelia and it just like she she didn't sleep well from the get also she was seven weeks old so he called and said like okay we need to take her back to the hotel so I drive over which is around the corner I drive to the house and as I'm waiting for my husband to get Amelia together and stuff. It was around just after midnight and the doctor had been a few hours before her family doctor that I've known my whole life was there and said, like, she's got hours, like she's not eating or drinking. Like this is it. Basically. Um, the the hospice nurse came and gave my stepdad a bunch of different syringes with things to keep her comfortable if she needs them she gave us a pamphlet that talks about the end of life and what happens during that process, um, which was actually, it was very informative and she's a phenomenal hospice nurse because she was just able to talk about it in such a way that it was, it, it was appropriately sad, but also informative. And I'm so glad that we read the pamphlet because it talks about sort of the last surge of energy. And my mom did have that. So going back uh, like an hour or two, she was sitting up and she said, so my stepdad, my brother and myself are all like either holding her hand or have hand on her shoulder. And I don't know if it was my stepdad or my brother that took their hand off for a second. And she said like, no, no, I want your hands on me. And she said, and my stepdad cried and she said like, it's okay. Like, it's okay. I love you. And she said to my husband and I, you guys stay together. And she meant like, help each other. And my brother went to say something and she said, don't be funny right now. <laughs> because he always makes a joke when he's uncomfortable. And she said, like, you guys stay together too. like, stay, right? I'm sure she said other stuff. I sadly don't remember what it was. Um, But we held her hand. And then so now we're at, just after midnight and i'm waiting for my husband to gather the baby things to take to all go back to the hotel and so she's laying on the bed and i put my hand over her hand and i i couldn't look at her and it didn't smell nice in the room i was exhausted and depleted of every sort of thing that you need to be a functioning adult um and so i had my head down and i said i'm here mom i love you And that's all I could get out. I didn't even want to be holding her hand. And she ripped her hand away. And logically, it very likely was just a muscle spasm. But that moment has been so incredibly hard. Even we're coming up on five years in April. Because I feel I, for a long time, took it like she could feel that I didn't want to be there. Which, and I've spoken to doctors, all of that. That's not what it is, but that's how it felt. And I was, I'm mad at myself for feeling anger at that time. We went back to the hotel and we got a call less than an hour later from my stepdad saying that my mom had passed. And mom had said before she died, because she plans for everything, I want this will sound really, for people that have not been in this situation, really morbid. But my mom said, I want you guys to have the opportunity to come see my body. <laughs> and Like everybody that knew my mom personally is like, that's Sue, like that's mama. But because she, she went through a very similar experience with her mom of holding her hand until she passed and all of that. And she didn't with her dad, um, she didn't get that opportunity and she felt like she always missed that closure. So she wanted us to have that closure. So my stepdad was calling to say, she's passed. I've called the funeral home. They're coming to get her do you want to come and see her? And I said, no, I don't want to. And he said, okay, your brother's coming. like, okay, I'm coming.
0: Due to the length of the story, we're going to take a quick pause here and release part two on another day. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Please feel free to find us on our Instagram page at thehappysoul.podcast and share with us your biggest takeaway from today's episode. We can't wait to see you again next time on the Happy Soul Podcast. With love, Sammy and Melissa.